All right. Good morning, Vlad. Good night, Rolo. Buona dimineața, as we say. Yes, buona dimineața. Niața. This might uh, be a live stream, but it's going to end up in season six, episode 10 of Bitcoin Takeover podcast. And I gave this a subtitle. Ah, the it, pressure's on. Oh, yeah. It's shilling lightning to the moon. Uh, shilling lightning to the moon. Uh, yeah. well, you know, I'm not really like as, as prominently. Uh, I no, no, no. You're the business right. developer that nobody asked for. <laughs> yes, that's I'm true. asking for you today. Okay, well, I'll, I'll let you lead the show then. Go ahead. Okay, so, so let me start with a personal anecdote because I suppose that's what gets people involved in conversations. So I haven't run a lightning node in months. And I've only used these custodial lightning services like Blue Wallet without connecting to my node. I just thought, okay, it's a small amount. I don't care. But I know I should, but I just didn't find the right time to do it. And I don't want to do it just on my computer. I want to do it permanently by purchasing a Raspberry Pi and running one of those full nodes all the time. I, I've been just lazy and I didn't do it. So how about you convince me today on why I should start running it right now as opposed to waiting for the blocks to fail when it's already too late to start opening channels for cheap? Yeah, um, that's tough. Uh, I'm not sure I think you should. Um, I, I definitely support Lightning and I definitely think it would be used by a lot of people. But as far as like, it's not the same thing in my opinion to, to put on people to say, oh, you need to run a Lightning node the same way you need to run a Bitcoin node. Um, like you definitely should have a Bitcoin node. But there are the situations where you're using lightning, you know, are mostly like hot wallet kind of situations. And so I think that's why people are generally more tolerant of the like, custodial wallets and like kind of in between setups like Neutrino and things like this, because you're not really going to be keeping your cold storage Bitcoin in your lightning wallet. This is supposed to be hot Bitcoin that's moving around, right? Um, and then the kind of user that's going to be running a lightning node uh, or most commonly is probably someone that's trying to be part of the infrastructure. And so, like, I don't think we need to have, like, people that, I don't know... Um, are just kind of Bitcoin enthusiasts or uh, spending, you know, maybe 50 bucks a month on of their Bitcoin. They don't need to be people trying to learn how to optimize their channel routes and, you know, determine what the best nodes to connect to are and try to see if they can cheese 15 bucks of fees, you know, out of their node. It, it's, it's not really a good fit. And so I think that like, you know, I don't think you're, what you're describing is laziness. I think you're just describing that you don't have incentive. And I, I don't know that that will change until it's just something that you don't have to think about. I think that we'll be able, once more of the Lightning implementations um, have better mobile compatibility, like right now, like there's no, there's no really C Lightning support in mobile. And so that isn't really represented. Um, whereas LND, you know, supports Neutrino and you can get a better kind of trade-off by doing that. But even that isn't really that prevalent in wallets. So it's kind of a long answer to your question. I, I don't think you should worry about it too much. I think that it's better to understand Lightning, better to like be an enthusiast of the the applications that are possible and being built now than it is to like participate in the consensus of Lightning because it's not really a thing. I think right now the two incentives to run a full Lightning node are to collect fees 
and that can be a nice way of not necessarily making money but at least covering the costs the electricity costs of keeping the node running all the time hoping that maybe at some point in the future that's going to accrue more value and the other one concerns the decentralization of the network i don't necessarily agree with the idea that there's going to be like five or six companies that have invested a lot early on in lightning and they're going to be like the oligopolies of this ecosystem. And I know that there's going to be a lot of stuff that's getting built on top of Lightning. So there's going to be layer three, layer four, and so on. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's better if there are more nodes and there are more individual nodes that are running Lightning. Um, I, it's not, I can't tell you you're wrong. It's not a correct me if I'm wrong thing. It's a little bit of prediction, a little bit of theory. Um, we could both be wrong, um, and, but I don't agree with you. Um, I don't think that uh, it's a good notion to promote that people are going to like make money off of routing like like small people i think it is actually going to be a business oriented uh role and then there actually is no need for someone to participate altruistically to contribute to the decentralization the decentralization of the lightning network that's not a thing either um i understand why it people would kind of extend from Bitcoin um, theory and, and try to apply that to Lightning. But this is actually what the biggest advantage of Lightning is, is it allows us to leverage centralization trustlessly. Um, the, the worst that somebody can do to you is basically be a nuisance, you know, by being unreliable and, and stopping to, you know, provide the services that you've been expecting. But the formation of the Lightning Network, I, I don't know, I, I put a tweet out recently that somebody else had made and it showed like the kind of largest nodes that had the biggest channels and like how many channels each of them had. And it was maybe 15, 20 nodes at most. And really we're talking about maybe four or five nodes that are actually very significant. Um, I should have them memorized, but, you know, for example, it's like Bitfinex, a Async, and BitRefill are some of the major ones. Um, and that's because those are actually ones that have economic activity and people having actual users. So they're, it's like, think of it like a, forming an organism like the arteries are going to form then the veins and the capillaries and such and so you don't like most people are just going to be capillaries they're just going to be on the outside and trying to get tapped into the biggest vein they can so they can reach anybody they need to reach and so that's not something like a centralization concept you have to worry about um yeah if it was only one major node and everybody was connected to it it's probably a problem because that ultimately is just a one service provider that everybody relies on but the difference with when we move to a more decentralized like uh, paradigm for everything like we're just getting used to it with bitcoin and now lightning but like people want to do a lot of this kind of thing with with like changing how the internet works uh, identity all like these web3 concepts etc and and they're gonna have to get used to this that the idea isn't that the net the network will totally reform in how it looks and who is a major player it's that that it, it will become open competition and so anybody can participate and kind of move uh, the network away should they have incentive to move away so like i don't know i, I say to people like the twitter of the, the the decentralized twitter that people want to talk about it's going to look just like twitter looks right now twitter will be the biggest service provider because they're the best at scaling the best at serving 
tweets and small kind of things. They know how to make sure they can get the same data all over the world. And, the, and initially, they'll be the biggest one. But what will happen is tweets will be able to leave Twitter and other people will be able to serve different user experiences and different kind of paradigms of how this kind of Twitter uh, infrastructure works. And so eventually, if, if other people are doing it better or more locally, more efficiently, you know, then, then people can just migrate away from Twitter. But, but you know, it is a competition. And the same thing is happening on Lightning. It's an open competition for ordering transactions onto the base layer. Right. I can think of, yeah, like five or six big businesses that operate the biggest nodes. But luckily, Lightning is permissionless, unlike the liquid sidechain, where you require the permission of one of the Federation members to onboard and to leave that sidechain. With Lightning, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want to. So I suppose you're right in the sense that neither of us is wrong. And if there were enough individual individuals to run nodes, the network could benefit and could build this auxiliary infrastructure i suppose if businesses like bitfinex and like bitrefill and async are the arteries and the stuff that helps the blood flow into the system i suppose there could be a lot of skin in the game and i know i've used the bad fun but whatever well yeah i mean i mean like i said i think maybe where you're right is that you know, contributing to the decentralization by altruistically, you know, spinning up a node and, and providing liquidity. Um, there will be, it will be more that way in the later stages. And so the reason why I maybe think it's a mistake to think that way now isn't that you're wrong. It's that it's not important right now. It will be important later when there are many more use cases and many more types of people using the Lightning Network. And you want to have sort of fragmented, uh, fractal, you know, you know, sub networks where people are doing things that only matter to them and not other people. Kind of like how, uh, uh, you know, I mentioned with, with the smaller network of large nodes, they also, you know, before Wombo was officially supported, um, they were kind of breaking network consensus to support large channels forming a sub network. And you'll see a lot of different kinds of sub networks, I think over time, and that will turn into this kind of more fractal future that, it, that will Kind of have to move towards if we want things to be efficient on layers yeah i suppose i agree with you but at the same time the reason why i'm fomo fomoing on the idea <laughs> of running a node is that at some point in the future it might not be sustainable from an opening channel cost point of view so i should start running a node right now in open channels while the blocks are not full and while the fees are acceptable in terms of costs. Um, that's reasonable. We need lightning and they're going to move to it. It will be because the blocks are full. And by that time, it's going to be a, a lot more expensive to start running a full node. I, I mean, I think that's reasonable, but I think that it's kind of an overstatement and that um, it's not going to catch you by surprise, right? It's not going to be that one day you're going to wake up and it's going to cost $500 to make a channel. You know, like you're going to see it coming, you know? So maybe you'll, but you'll start making channels at $5 instead of at $2 or whatever, because you have this, this concern, but right now it still hasn't been high enough to 
incentivize you, right? Or disincentivize, you know, the, the behavior that you've been doing so far. So I, I don't think it'll sneak up on you. I do think that some people are thinking the way you're talking about, though. Like a lot of people are wondering, like, what that note Ellen Big is doing with opening tons of channels all over the place since the beginning of the Lightning Network. It could just be that they, they maybe have a model of maybe they've really modeled out the future in a way they're really confident and they just think one day everybody's going to want to buy these channels off of us. One day, you know, we're going to have so much access and so much. They, they might have some kind of theory behind it. I don't know. But um, that would be in line with kind of what you're saying, I think. Uh, I just don't think it'll sneak up on anybody. I think you'll have a chance. You know? I have a very technical question up next, and it concerns something that I was supposed to write about for Bitcoin Magazine last year. And essentially, Aaron just took me out of it because it's kind of complicated. It's a delicate topic. I'm not sure if it was solved since last year. It's about routing. And I know there are lots of teams working on different routing systems, and they want to allow the network to be as decentralized as possible without incentivizing just big nodes that have been around since day one. And that's a big problem, especially in Romania, because when you run a Lightning node here, you're not collecting any routing fees because these routing fees are based on proximity and you're not really routing payments if you're just one node in, uh, I suppose there are like 50 in Romania right now. So okay, I'm, it has I'm, nothing to do with geographic proximity. Okay, go on. Yeah, but I think you, I'd like you to finish your question. You said it was a technical question. Yeah, so where did routing get throughout the last year? Um, so it's, when I when I talk about proximity, it's not about geographic proximity, and it's more about like um, actual topography of economic proximity. So this is a digital realm we're talking about. They, these nodes don't care what country you're in; they're not going to not route with you because of a very like you know 100 milliseconds of latency. They're going to route with you based off of who you're connected to and, and what kind of liquidity you have balanced in your channels. So basically, they're just looking for a path. And if you can be that path digitally, they don't care where you are in the world. So it's nothing, Romania isn't limiting us. Um, it, it's more our knowledge of which nodes to get in, in the middle of so we can be taxing traffic. And so automatically you can kind of guess that this is actually, that, that attitude is an inefficiency. You know, to, to say, I'm going to put myself in the middle and tax it. That's not, you know, that's not providing a service, right? So you have to, you have to actually naturally have a position. You have to be somewhere that a lot of people want to send money through or to for a reason. And this is why BitRefill and Bitfinex and such and wallets actually are another big one are the, are the most kind of uh, routed nodes because they have the actual most people really sending money between each other to those places. Um, you can't just shove yourself in. And this is why I don't like the whole farming fees thing. Now, I will say that in the future and use cases, including use cases, I want to help uh, cultivate with the business I'm starting, um, I think it will become more true. I think someday you will be able to plug in your lightning node or your or some kind of home server, set your resources into how much you want to publicly provide and just kind of install some machine learning kind of bots and things like this and kind of farm the network by providing, you know, bandwidth or storage or relaying, you know, these kinds of things. But we're kind of a little bit far off from that. Um, and then to answer your the routing part of your question, um, you can probably guess what I'll say because it, it's in line with everything else I've been saying. I actually think that um, 
Now, I'm not an engineer, so I'm probably going to sound ignorant to them, but um, I think that there's a little bit too much focus on advanced routing problems. Um, I guess it, maybe, maybe they'll take a long time to solve and, and they'll, we'll be happy they're in place when we need them. But if you think take what I've been saying about like centralization being kind of okay on Lightning, as long as it doesn't get out of hand, like the routing actually never is that complex. And, and so things like multipath uh, payments, like what they do is they say, oh, I want to take a network that, I, that, that the direct route that I'm trying to take, there isn't enough liquidity. So I'm going to take all these other routes and, and I'm going to move, I'm going to rebalance like the whole entire network just because the, the, the direct route doesn't have liquidity. And so you're basically kind of, it's like a leeching kind of behavior. And, and I actually think it, it will become an inefficiency. Like in, in the end, you want to be connected to the people that are going to get your money to where it goes. You don't want to be looking for all these obscure connections to be able to route things. Now, I'm going to be wrong in some senses because eventually the network will be super huge. And maybe somebody wants to send really large payments in an unusual direction. But generally, that's like an optimization. This is, these are edge cases cases most of the time for 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 the foreseeable future lightning doesn't need that kind of advanced routing now you could make arguments in the sense of like privacy and other things like this so that the way there are like kind of different peers or different uh, different behavior for you know people that are snooping on the network to to analyze and assess and maybe these these routing things can affect that like trampoline payments is one and this is like this kind of like way of sending a payment into a zone and you kind of like have to hope that it hops into another zone. And so it's just a different approach to routing that maybe will provide different trade-offs for privacy and such. Um, Christian Decker would be someone to talk better about that. I think he's the one working on that. But I hope that answers your question. <laughs> yeah. So yesterday, I, I've listened to your talk with Sergey, and he referred to lighting as a gun that's on the shelf or something like that, because it's ready. It's functional but it's not used at its potential. Not many people are having economic activity on Lightning. So why do you think that is? Because last year we were speaking in Berlin, I think it was exactly one year ago, and everyone was much more optimistic about Lightning, but the events that happened in the last year just proved that there is not much demand for Lightning. So I'm going to be a little bit theoretical and critical in my answer. I don't know how right I am, but I actually think it's a culture problem is one of the biggest problems. Um, the culture in Bitcoin, you know, this, this number go up, uh, maximalism kind of getting dumbed down um, from what I, what I think it actually is, is derived from. Um, it's turned into this kind of culture where we hate the shit coins because they're, they're fake innovation and, and we love Bitcoin because it's the only real coin and it's going to go up and everybody knows it and that's it. And this leads to like, you know, this extends into the whole culture of what get what investment, where investment money goes, what products get built, what products people conceive of to be built, and everything gets biased towards finance. And so you see companies like, um, you know, I, I don't want to rag on them, but I, you know, the, the easiest example, um, Blockstream, like 
they are, they were the kind of like the great white hope of Bitcoiners. You know, you, you, we wanted to think, okay, these guys are going to make all the cool shit, right? Like they're going to save Bitcoin. They're going to make every, the future true that we all want. Um, in a lot of ways they, they still are that and do that, but they, their actual products and the things that they put effort into, um, and this is just a natural incentive structure have, have biased towards finance products. And so now you have things like liquid, you have things like providing services, like, like they have these partnerships with, uh, you know, these finance things, you know, I, ICE and such and, and ways to like provide data. And, and then liquid is like supposed to be about providing arbitrage opportunities. And you have this federation of all these big exchanges and it's like, where is the cypherpunk? Where is the, you know, the, the Bitcoininess? And, you know, I'm being unfair because they do have, you know, lightning research they do and they, in core development, they sponsor and things like this, but, um, lightning kind of, you know, I, I did my best to hype it and, and let people, you know, try to open their imaginations of that. There's really a lot more possible now because of this kind of instant paradigm, this peer to peer paradigm. And, and mostly it turned out to be like, you know, a few games, which I think will end up being cool eventually, and you know, feeding chickens and 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 talking about routing and making wallets and but but like where is like the the consumer stuff? Where is the you know publishing stuff? The Web three stuff? Where is where is all of the stuff that like is not finance? Um, you know, and I'll use that as a plug again for the company I'm working on, like. Basically, we're trying to focus on all the things that are not finance. Um, and so we'll make a number of products in that direction. And so Sergey is kind of right, um, but it's also maybe his responsibility to, to make that not true anymore. And this goes into the conversation about like, you know, you saw recently me kind to get back on guilting exchanges to add lightning. Like... Even exchanges don't even understand why it's important to, to add lightning. They just think of it as strictly about the fees. And so they're, they're saying, oh, we'll wait until fees are high <laughs> and then we'll, you know, hire a lightning guy and we'll support lightning. But it, if the exchanges are the arteries economically, then if they don't support Bitcoin upgrades, how are they supposed to be like, how is there supposed to be a framework for, you know, product designers and builders to like, to, to look at and say, Oh, how can I, what can I do with this? And, and you need that infrastructure there. You need to know that all the exchanges will be there to, and their customers will be there to be able to access whatever you're building on lightning. If you don't have the exchanges supporting it, then you're basically trying to compete with that instead of, you know, synergize with it. And so this is kind of what I explained to Jesse when I was when I was trying to argue or the, the case to him that I, like their their support is important and Bitfinex's support is important because of the opportunities that they're kind of delaying by not supporting it. And and you know, the next DeFi or the better DeFi or something could be, you know, a year away or, or could be three months away. And, and that's really up to people like Kraken and infrastructure. And so I, I, I'll go back to what I started with and say, I think it's a culture problem. I think that Bitcoiners need to get smarter and they need to get more creative and they need to stop thinking that, um, that Bitcoin is here just to get them rich by this asymmetric kind of uh, information they think they have. I think also the narrative of digital gold has played a role in this mindset. You see people all the time buying Bitcoin on Cash App mostly and posting screenshots and writing a caption such as, these sets are mine forever, nobody will ever touch them, 
I have strong hands, nobody will ever get them, blah, blah. That's how you know it's not true. (laughs) You don't really understand how economics work and you need to have liquidity for businesses and for the entire ecosystem to develop. You can't just expect people to buy into Bitcoin at some point in the future unless you develop some sort of economy around it. You need to give them lots of reasons except for number go up to get into it. Yeah. And one of it is very important and is the one that gets me and keeps me in. And it's the one about censorship resistance and about hedging against inflation and stuff like that. But you also need to build a parallel economy or you, you call it a circular economy because you're, cir- you're a circular economist. So I call it both. Um, I, I think that it starts as a parallel economy and, and it only succeeds because that economy is circular. Like we are going to have to do something outside of the system and separate. We are going to have to build a new kind of digital area for people to kind of play in and build in. And if and, and if people don't start thinking that way, it's going to be much harder and it's going to take much longer. And I just think that the finance stuff is kind of like, all right, we have enough enough people caring about that. Let's let's see what else we can do. But Lightning at the same time is a network that's agnostic to the type of currency. So theoretically speaking, you could build this kind of economy on Litecoin and Monero and I don't know, just use well, it. No, it's not about Lightning only. Um, Lightning is just a way of dealing with you know this key pair structure that has this this token inside of it. It's about Bitcoin is the reason. Like if we're gonna build a whole new economy on the internet, what better network do we have than Bitcoin? Like, it, it, like it, it's got the most use. It's the safest. It's the most secure. It's the most censorship resistant. Like, if we're gonna if we're gonna go in here and kind of uh, cause a digital revolution, it has to be Bitcoin. There's not really any other option. Oh, I can agree with that. But at the same time, you need to show people how it's done, mm-hmm. and they need to understand that there should be this type of economy and i suppose people in litecoin would be much more open into embracing lightning even though they have no incentive they have empty blocks right now that assumes that there are actually people of litecoin um I, i don't think there are i think that the only people of litecoin are the people that like think that they can get this kind of sneaky upside that is like by, by by investing in silver instead of gold and that's all they really care about there's not there's not any kind of community or movement or special thing they're just thinking okay what can we do to seem relevant so that we can continue to be like a the, the b team store of value and there's actually that's not the worst thing in the world i'll be honest with you like i've done a lot of thinking about modeling the future of bitcoin and the scalability of it you know if we want it to be for everybody it really does get complicated and we might actually need to have um and and it's evidenced already by how many we have um for non-speculative reasons we might need to have like tier two blockchains i don't know if they're feasible because of how mining works um and how attackable they may be if they get too large but um like like it might be hard to do absolutely everything on bitcoin (laughs) you know it, it might we might actually need like to have a second tier or lower security. Um, and, and, w- and that's been evidenced by like when fees went really high, you know, all of a sudden altcoins actually had a use case. You know, it was like, oh, I can move my crypto and these exchanges because they also support these altcoins and I can save on fees and then convert again when I get back on the exchange. Um, it was kind of like a hack to, to deal with things, but 
there, there they were. Altcoins finally had an argument, you know? I suppose I remember December 2017 and all that mania about getting on exchanges and you were not even able to create accounts on Binance at the time. It was just, it hit a bottleneck. I'm not sure if we're going to see that very soon, except for that DeFi degeneracy, which I don't really get. Yeah, the you know, everybody keep, keeps saying the fees will go up and they have been kind of going up slowly. And I do wonder if we'll, you know, how often and for how long we will get these kind of, oh, the blocks are actually full and fees are actually significantly high. Like, this is annoying. <laughs> um, I, I don't know when we'll get that again, for sure. It, it could be like that we've installed enough valves on Bitcoin where like it'll be like fees on chain will get kind of higher than normal and fees on lightning will get kind of higher than normal. And, and it will just kind of go like this, you know, like stair step up. Um, I realize you're recording this for your podcast, so I can't use my hands. <laughs> um, it'll kind of stair step up and maybe never reach, you know, full blocks for any consistent amount of time because we have these valves that people will kind of leak out into that will be cheaper, you know? You know, after the halving, it seemed like the blocks were full for like a month and it was very difficult to get any transaction in a block without paying a lot more in terms of fees. So if you're broadcasting a one sat per per byte transaction, you'd have had to wait like a month to get it confirmed. So it seemed like there was something happening there, but I suppose it could have been just miners spamming the mempool just to... Yeah, it could be the same thing with Ethereum right now. Um, I actually think that's probably a good theory of what happened in 2017. Like the the fees were, the fee portion of the block reward was pretty significant. I don't know, it was like more than one Bitcoin, two Bitcoin, while Bitcoin was at like $15,000, $20,000, right? And so these are the significant amounts of fees. And uh, if you had miners, you know, if you say these miners did have, you know, half the network, you can start doing some formulas to determine like, if I start spamming my own fees, you know, if I make transactions and I start, you know, raising the fee rate in the mempool, can I get everybody else to pay? And how much will I lose if I don't mine my own block? But if you mine your own block, you get your own fees back, right? So if you, if there's a, too much centralization, you can kind of hack the hack the network to to just raise the fees. Um, and I think that may have been part of the phenomenon back then. I think it may be harder now. Um, a lot more miners, a lot more places, but Ethereum maybe not. Like I, I would suspect that the Ethereum mining is probably very centralized. Um, it, you know, if it's anything like their node network, and they, the miners probably do have the same kind of advantages to be able to do those kinds of things by like, you know. Hell, if I was a miner, I would design DeFi, I would say. Like, let me find a way to trap all these people in this thing where they think they're going to realize this inefficiency that is worth make 10%, but then I'm going to charge them 11% in fees just to be able to have access, and they're, going to re and they're not going to realize it until they get out that they're actually at a loss, um, even though that the trade was profitable. And that's a nice little kind of hack that they can do on people. I don't know if it's true, though. It might be. Thankfully, we got rid of Bitmain, and they're not a big player in Bitcoin anymore, and they got wrecked supporting BCH, which was, I guess, the decision that led to their downfall. 
they're not even i think they're not even the biggest asic manufacturer right now i don't know man i don't believe any of the stories i hear about chinese mining because like one i don't know if i could believe them if they said things themselves just by the nature of the way they did business historically in bitcoin and then all of the news coming out is like you know second third fourth hand from people that like i don't really know why i should trust them either and so like these stories about the bitmain ipo and you know mike Cree trying to take over with uh, Jahan and all, like it all just seems like made up drama that I really I could never care about unless I was on the ground there with them you know and part of it and skin that game like I just think it's like I don't know soap operas for Bitcoiners yeah but that's a very good indicator that we are in the middle of a bull market when you see China FUD <laughs> maybe maybe China we'll see then Bitcoin then it means that we are in the middle of a bull market and and uh you know three-letter agencies you know going after exchanges is a good uh kickoff for bull markets as well you know like closing silk road um things like this and, and so maybe this bitmex kind of uh these bitmex arrests and charges from the cftc are like we'll get our last nice dip and and kind of move steady up from here but i don't know part of me also wishes that we don't get a new high on this uh on this cycle Okay, so let me ask you a more direct question, and you don't have to answer it honestly, but what did you buy lately with Lightning? Did you make any economic purchases? Um, I'm trying to think about it. Uh, I played with Ellen Markets is probably the most recent thing. Um, I know those guys, and I uh, helped connect them. Uh, Ryan Gentry, uh, from now he's at Lightning Labs, formerly at Multicon Capital. He was talking to them about me, and I, and I told them I thought they were cool. And so we kind of uh, helped connect them with some investors, uh, and they ended up getting some funding. And so I've been paying close attention to them, partly because I think that they could probably eat BitMEX's lunch, at least on the retail trader side um and i want to see if like they can be a better you know type of exchange where maybe they'll very early on realize like creating use cases for you know uh, more self-sovereign types of accounts and maybe you know dlcs and having some kind of more decentralized aspects to what they do since they're kind of starting with lightning um and it's just really cool to be able to like uh log in with your you know you just scan something your phone you're logged in you you want to make a trade you scan a qr code and now the trade is open like it's 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 i don't know it just feels like a much cooler user experience to me um i don't know if ever other people will like it but that's probably the last thing i use lightning for um i i, I want to say uh light night but they didn't didn't have me I, I, I won't pay the prices that they charge for skins in that system. And it seems like it still needs some time to get ready, but the game seems like it could be cool. And I, and I was a big Dota uh, player for a while and I liked collecting the skins on that. So I'm looking forward to having that kind of paradigm, um, but I'm not really willing to use like liquid and such. So I'm wait till RGB is ready. Oh, so speaking of like night, I suppose you're in I forget his name because it's so early. What's the name of the creator? Oh, I don't know their names by heart. Um, I don't know. If you said I it, I would say... Podcast. Yeah. He's Spanish, so I know what he looks like. I don't remember the name. I'm very sorry. Honestly. So this Is, uh, is he Spanish or Brazilian? I think that... No, he's Spanish. He's Spanish? Yeah. 
No, I, I, I didn't follow them that closely. I, I probably should follow the, the Lightning Gaming side of the world more closely. I've been starting to. I installed Bitcoin Bounce and started playing with that and actually played Light Knight for the first time recently. Carlos Roldan. Yeah. I, I just remember Carlos Roldan. I think you were on, on his podcast recently, right? No. You were not? I don't think I so. I saw that he, he was having lots of high profile guests and I don't know, I just thought... Oh, I'm not high profile, I just troll high profile people. <laughs> right. But he seems very enthusiastic about his clone of Fortnite. And it's going to be interesting to see how the market reacts and how gamers in general react to this type of game which incentivizes them to play more and shoot more enemies. I, I mean, I think that competitive gaming, like betting, tournaments, uh, this kind of thing is another side of, of uh, Bitcoin and Lightning that could be cool, like actually having real money at stake. Um, we'll probably hit some roadblocks with the legalities of this. Like, in other words, it isn't our bright idea. I'm sure many, many game companies before wanted people to be able to use real money to do things. And so there, there'll be some kind of probably roadblocks there that we're kind of uh, conveniently ignoring. But I'm not the one working in the gaming field, so it's not my problem. Um, but it, it could be interesting if they can figure out how to do it. Yeah. I've actually pitched the idea of lightning monetization and game and allowing people to earn and spend lightning Bitcoin in games to John Romero, who is one of the creators of Doom and Wolfenstein and Quake. I, I got to talk to him, and he was like, there is a reason why companies use proprietary virtual currencies because they control them. They don't care about supply and inflation. It just works and gamers have gotten used to it and he didn't see any kind of value in it. He didn't believe that it has any kind of potential. It might have some users in third country, third world country markets where they, they basically make enough Satoshis for them to turn it into a job possibly. And yeah. I suppose we are seeing that with Bitcoin Bounce, which is a mobile game where if you collect lots of tickets, you earn some Satoshis mm. every day. Yeah, I mean, I do think that, uh, you know, in places where, you know, the money is worth a lot more, um, that you definitely see these use cases and these, these types of users. Um, I know that, like, for example, Stackwork um, is doing these kind of micro task job things um, with their website. And uh, they have like their, uh, I don't know if it's public, so I probably shouldn't talk about it, but they have other projects they're doing in, in kind of uh, these, these poorer areas that are giving them, you know, access to uh, these kind of micro jobs and it's much more meaningful in, our, in some areas than others. So maybe think of something I wanted to say earlier when you were talking, I forgot what the topic was, but um, with number go up, uh, I, I always like to remind people, it's like, yes, maybe Bitcoin will be at $100,000, but what if a hamburger costs $10,000? You know, like it, it's like, it's not just about number go up. You have to think about like what the actual situation will be when that number is up. And if your buying power is actually, you know, what you expected. I suppose a lot of people disregard what inflation actually means and how it impacts the price of goods and services. So they think, oh yeah, it's going to go to 1 million, but what does that mean for the rest of the economy? Mm -hmm. Is it going to, is your purchasing power going to be comparable to the same one that you have right now? 
just because the market has adjusted in terms of prices. This is like what I'm worried would be like the big lie of number go up that, um, you know, if you really think abstractly well enough, the odds are you're, what you're going to come out with is what you just said, that that your buying power right now, um, your place in society right now will probably be pretty similar as, you know, society progresses on its, uh, in its current path. Um, the asymmetric kind of trade on Bitcoin is just becoming much smaller and smaller, you know, and if, if all you're relying on is inflation, well, if everybody else knows too, like you're just going to have, you're going to be in the same rank in the economic world as you are now. Um, potentially you may have some advantage, but like this, I just really do not like this, like this culture of thinking that I can sit around and wait for me to get rich by while other people do things. You know, if I just hold Bitcoin. I suppose that was the case a few years ago, but we're not sure if it's applicable. It takes a lot more money to get Bitcoin mm -hmm. from 10 K to hundred K than it took it to get from one K to 10 K. So exactly. I find it silly when people look at graphs and models and, you know, that stuff like stock to flow and they say every four years it's going 10 X and it has been doing this and there's a pattern and there's certainly must be something there because it's in the protocol. It's the pumponomics. That's the problem is if, if we keep indoctrinating this, this perspective with every entrant, then it then we'll, we'll we'll kind of manifest it right like everybody will you know sell sometime in year two or three and everybody will buy sometime in year four or one and then every cycle everybody will try to catch the wave and there will be no waves <laughs> and 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 like I, I i worry about like some kind of like you know post bitcoin depression or something uh, it's because of everybody so many people believing in this and then never being able to catch the ride never being able to catch that dragon and and and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be negative. I mean, I think Bitcoin still has some nice pumps left. Um, I just think it's exactly what you said, like to 10x from 10,000 to 100,000 or 100,000 and up. Like it's just it gets very, very difficult and it may require actual hyperinflation, you know, and, and that's not actually a good thing. I don't think that's something that we should desire. A lot of people just I don't want to give any names, but they look at the world and they say, I can't wait for this to burn. So I get rich. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that that's uh, it's hard to not to think that way sometimes. But I do try to think that way. I try to think, OK, like if people are getting hurt, then it's a bad thing. And we have to think about maybe ways to not have that be how things happen. Yeah, we're such soy boys. <laughs> According to the ones who post pictures of themselves pissing and stacking sets. I don't know. It's not, it's not soy boy to care about like the, the survival of humanity. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about here. You know, like, yes, we're all competing, but we're also all cooperating. We're trying to advance, you know, either society in the abstract and culture in the abstract or just genetics in general and survive as a species. And that's about being adaptable. It's not about, you know, killing all the competition. There's also the theory of how societies work, because if you end up being the wealthiest in your community and everyone else is just broke off of their fiat holdings, then they're going to come for you. It's mm -hmm. not like you are in some sort of void or some sort of imaginary citadel where you have established yourself among other Bitcoiners. Now, I can argue why that's a bad idea, too. And it's some sort of utopian society that 
just can't scale and can't work. But if you're the wealthiest and you don't provide any kind of incentives for them to come to you and respect you and protect you, they're going to come for you and just steal whatever you have. You mm -hmm. can't just be the wealthiest in a community. And I can understand that neighborhoods get established according to the, the degree of wealth. So some people just live in nicer neighborhoods and they move according to their net worth and their income. But, you know, if the world gets to hyperinflation and there's just a handful of us that hold a lot of Bitcoin, I don't, but I, maybe these people actually do and they're, they're not lying when they post screenshots on Twitter about holding hundreds of Bitcoins. If they end up being the wealthiest, then they're going to be targeted a lot. So they, they should start worrying about it and lower their, what's the name of that? LARPing. Yeah. Lower their <laughs> LARPing activity. Well, I, I like to say that, um, and I'll say this a lot more in the future, that consensus is mutual. And that, that what that means is, is it, it's, it transcends any system. So like if you and I agree on something, we don't need to agree about it on the Bitcoin layer for it to be true. We just need to mutually observe to each other that we agree on it. And you, if you scale this out to any concept and any concern, you know, any issue, then that means that yet that what can happen is exactly what you described, that the law can be that, that this is what's how things are. This is what's enforced by the people that are given permission to be violent. And, and then it can still be totally overturned by a majority, whether the law changes or not. Like they can just come and, and they can walk into the White House and lynch the president. And, you know, the military can do it. You know, enough quantity of people can do it. Like there is no law. There's only kind of civilization. And so if, if people want to have these kind of utopian futures of, of citadels or, you know, uh, this, this peaceful harmony of, of economy, then you have to, this actually is a cultural revolution. You, you have to basically train humans to, to kind of cooperate and value uh, meritocracy and fairness and competition and, and teach them about things like evolution and how this all is just, you know, kind of... Uh, an echo of just it's just an echo of like the law of thermodynamics basically like everything we do and everything we do is about reproduction and about the competition for reproduction and it's just all science and we're all just behaving like like uh weirdos when we kind of ignore the these things and, we, and it's it's perversion of reality to like really dive into like abstract concepts or like weird issues you know like these these kind of moral uh corners of the mind um in the end like all that really matters is that as a human race we progress and get more and more adaptable so that way we can survive anything that ever happens to us for all the crap that governments get for debasing currencies and being too authoritarian it's a wonder and it's a miracle that we don't kill each other on the streets and that we have gotten to the level where we respect each other and we have a system of incentives and we can agree not to do something harmful to somebody else because it has greater consequences upon us. And we can agree that we should have an honest living and try to work eight hours a day, five days a week to preserve our status or to climb the social ladder and acquire something that we desire. 
I mean, it's so easy naturally to think in terms of I'm stronger than that person. I can beat them up. I can take whatever I want. Why can't I just do that? And the fact that it doesn't happen, I think that's a miracle. And the fact that we think that we can reinvent society just based on sound money, I think that's silly. People are going to go back to some of their primal tendencies. Well, like people, like violence is always an option. That's the problem. Is like, like there actually is a meat space. You can't just put everything on paper. You can't put in everything in a computer because at some point somebody can just come along and knock you in the head. You have the wrench attack, whatever, whatever way you want to look at it. So yeah, I don't know. I I think that um, we're social creatures, and that's in in where we've evolved to be social creatures for a reason. And I think it's so we don't just constantly like kill each other because then we'd all be dead. <laughs> like we, we need a quantity of us to continue being able to have the situation where we can safely like raise a family alone. You know, like these are, there are these like structures we have to maintain to be able to move forward. Um, and I think in the end that, uh, that you know, markets are efficient in the, uh, in the biological sense and the environment sense, but maybe not so much in the, uh, you know, the finance sense or the abstractions, you know, areas of what we create. I think we got a bit sidetracked. From yeah. <laughs> so, but it's, I, I like to talk about that stuff and, and, and thinking that way is like, I think what Bitcoiners are missing. That's why they don't have the culture to stop talking about finance. That's how we, that's how why we started, why we started talking about this. Like they, they need to think about like what's actually going on underneath and why any of this even matters. Yeah. And I suppose a lot more people should read Eric Voskale's crypto economics book, which is free as opposed to purchasing Safedine's book, which costs money. I would agree with this. Um, it, it, is, it is a chore to read his work. It is a chore to talk to him. But I, he's one of the people I respect the most in the space. And you know, he's, he's quiet and a lot of people don't even know he exists. But um, like, I, I like to think of like, if I ever want to write a white paper or have some kind of theory and actually document it and write it out, I would think of him as like the main boss. Like I need to get him to say, this is interesting and relevant. And if I can do that, then I know like I have total confidence and nobody could ever shake me. Um, I don't know that I'll ever have that kind of thing to present to him or that he'll, or that he'd ever, you know, uh, bless it. But that's kind of how I look at him. Whereas like safety I think he was the kind of he was kind of in the right place at the right time. He was the he was the first person to take the time to document, you know, concepts of Bitcoin maximalism and and why the, and, and but he didn't really properly define it or or articulate it and he kind of like went off he riffed a bit too much on what he thinks like this is related to and so it makes it harder to digest for some people and it makes it easier to digest for some people and and both of those kinds of people are like they're they're having a little bit too much allowing for a little bit too much ignorance in my opinion um to support like the ideas so loosely connected i think i've heard chris the rose and i i know you dislike chris but he spoke about 50-page libertarians who only read, read some very basic concepts and then LARP all about it on social media. And then you have 1,000-page libertarians who actually read Mises and understand how human action works and why people behave in certain ways in terms of economics and how markets work. And they are much more nuanced in their presentation as opposed to the people who 
I suppose people who just read the Bitcoin standard and think they have it all figured out about life, society, and economics and markets, they're the 50-page libertarians. And I, I suppose the Bitcoin standard reads much more like a tabloid in some parts and tends to be sensationalistic and distort some facts and just present them for the sake of strengthening the argument, but not for a scientific purpose, which actually analyzes events objectively. Like the argument against John Maynard Keynes is that he was a sexual libertine. And for his time, that was somehow immoral and terrible. I mean, so first I'll say, I respect Christa Rose's mind. I don't respect his application of his kind of what of his learnings, of his determinations that he makes from the things he learns. But he knows a lot of things and he understands them in very interesting ways. Um, I just think he applies them in sort of a, a narcissistic way that makes me feel like there's like I don't know, like no hope and it's kind of a depressing way of looking at life. Um and when I think that there are other approaches that he kind of ignores and neglects that are viable that that are much more pro, you know proactive and progressive um but I, I do find myself always circling back like you know like I, I'll, I'll test you know people on twitter in a certain way or float certain ideas and then i'll see how they respond and i'm just like so disappointed and i'm like why do people why are they so lazy? Why are they so quick to, you know, be defensive or, or not want to learn or, or adjust their thinking? And I just, I, I very often come back to Krista Rose and things he's said. And sometimes even I'm like, now I understand why he said that. Like, it wasn't just I about that. that please. Side. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's happened to me more than once, like you know, where I was very judgmental of the reason that he was saying a thing, but I'm st I, I still maintain that even though he has said things that I, I've later learned were correct, the way he applied them was always, in my opinion, wrong. Like just to just really be very judgmental about people and, and really cutting off certain ideas of any, that there had any actual purpose at all. He just wants everything to be meaningless. And that's not really something I can get up and get on board with. I think somewhere down the line, something went wrong with him because he was so optimistic and he actually understood Bitcoin a lot better than most people. And he was doing the most popular podcast at the time. Mm -hmm. the, 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 I mean, I know some of the story. There were personal things and, and, and you know, non-Bitcoin things that I think affected uh, things. And so yeah, we probably should get into that. I, I would just say, yeah, everybody should go and watch the uh, 2017, I believe it was, 2016 Bitcoin Uncensored, because that's like the, the most legendary Bitcoin content you can find, in my opinion. And I, and I was I feel proud to have been involved with a few of the episodes and a few of the antics. Um, I don't think we'll ever have that again, uh, but it was definitely a fun time. Oh, yeah. Just like Bitcoin car talk, which was huge at the time. Yeah. Then he turned into an asshole, too. And they're friends. So <laughs> there must be a pattern there. But anyway, I see that Caro is here. So I'm going to try to make you say something sensational. And I'm going to ask you, why are you a better business developer than Elizabeth Stark? Ooh. Well, I don't think she's a business developer, so that's uh, one one quick thing I'll say. Um, yeah, blow, blow. Well, I mean, she's the CEO of uh, of a lab, right? And I don't think she's the one that even her. her I would doubt even she herself would be the one. Uh, she said.
sends out to you know go and try to make business connections and and and, and these kinds of things. I think she's been very focused on trying to like get the team and envision together for the company. And I I, I don't want to criticize uh, Elizabeth Stark as her role um, in Lightning Labs. I, I think that she's done a great job. Um, I think that everybody has done a bad job at business development for Lightning, and. You could say, you know, if you were asked the question, whose job is it to be business developer for Lightning? It would be easy to point at her or Lightning Labs, but really, you know, Ryan Gentry is in that role, and I and I think he's awesome, and and he's trying to do that for Lightning Labs now. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, I could criticize maybe uh, again Blockstream for being uh, not necessarily uh, very good at business development for Lightning because they obviously have put more effort into business development for Liquid. Um, and that's maybe the better criticism, criticism about Lightning and Blockstream. It's not that they don't support Lightning and they don't support Cypherpunk stuff. It's that on the product and business development side, the the resources are being poured into Liquid and, and other things. Um, and why would I be better? Um, I think the only advantage I have in business development and I, I have noticed in the you know, while at Bitrefill and since leaving Bitrefill too that I do have a little knack for aspects of business development. Um, it's that I just don't give a shit. Like I will say what I think is true and what is the way, and I can model what it, the way I think things should be, and I can very quickly retort and argue. You know, when people like want to inject doubt into a conversation, or you know, it's just having a good kind of abstract abstract understanding of things and kind of first principles of things and so when people want to have a when people are ready to talk business and business development then i have i have answers i have arguments um and that helps um and i'm also you know i mentioned this uh in sergey in the in the, the the interview i did with sergey yesterday like you have to be willing to hold to hold people publicly accountable because people are like inclined to want to like hide or or make excuses sometimes or you know delay or ignore things and sometimes the only way i've been able to get a business meeting with certain people um is if they like if i piss them off on twitter and it's really weird and i hate that it's that way but maybe it's just a lack of net of you know business connections on my own part and this is like my only option left <laughs> i don't know but you know i have definitely gotten some very very interesting business development calls just by being you know um just by scrutinizing people publicly and and so i think that with with lightning if i was to be to call myself a good or better business development than someone, it would go back to, you know, what we started the conversation with, with, you know, my views on Bitcoin and it not being just about number go up and money and you know, trying to see what all the other possible products are and other possible partnerships are that you can create, um, especially not just between one business, but between multiple businesses and, and trying to like find good fits. And that's kind of what I've been doing lately behind the scenes is, you know, doing like uh, trying to set up kind of three way bootstrapping partnerships with uh, the products that I'm building and, and other uh, businesses. Okay, so to summarize this exclusive online episode that we have done, Lightning is ready. It has most of development done. To run a node, the incentives are low right now, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't. And the culture of Bitcoin prevents Lightning from blossoming. Because if too many people huddle, they don't really exchange goods and services for Bitcoin, which is detrimental to the Bitcoin economy. And we spoke a little too much about 
culture, we gossiped a bit about Chris DeRose and you criticized Blackstream like three times. <laughs> and what else? I, I well, I may not word all of the things that way. I, I would guess that's probably a fair summary. <laughs> okay. So thank you very much, John, for doing this. You're the only person to ever get on the Bitcoin Takeover podcast twice. And I also want to get to next season when I want to do something that's only about non-Bitcoin stuff, just to discuss hobbies and what people do outside of Bitcoin. I think that's going to be successful, hopefully. Anytime. You're the only uh, pseudo-philosophical person that I've ever enjoyed talking to. I, I typically hate talking to philosopher types and because they always want to talk about bullshit. And, and I always enjoy our conversation. So anytime, I'll be happy to. I enjoy being a pseudo-philosopher. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. I so I'm going to hand this off to Carol. Carol, uh, Caro, thanks again.